0: Welcome to the Crossroads podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Vitelli, a senior reporter with Spark Spread News. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. My guest today is David Burton, a tax partner on Norton Rose Fulbright's project finance team and really one of the preeminent uh, attorneys in the renewable energy space, especially when it comes to anything involving tax equity. I mean. When there's something in the news that involves a tax equity issue or policy, David is generally the first person that I call to make sense of it. So, David, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you for that kind introduction. So, I'm really glad to have you today um, because there is so much going on in Washington right now, as I'm sure anyone who has followed the news is aware. And a lot of it, could have an impact on the energy and on the renewables sector. Um, So David, why don't you give me a rundown of everything that's going on that might affect the renewables industry? Sure, Um, I don't don't
1: know if I'll manage everything, but uh, uh, I'll hit the highlights.
0: Let's do the most important things then. Yep, there are four major
1: issues in Washington at the moment. Um, And veteran lobbyists are saying they've never seen so many moving parts in the, you know, tax, uh, fiscal, uh, agenda before. So the first issue is that, um, the government's fiscal year, uh, ends on September 30th and there's been no money uh, appropriated for it to continue operating. So, um, uh, that, that, so the government needs funded and that's coming fast. Cause we're almost at the end of September. Uh, the second issue is the debt ceiling. Um, we were about to hit the debt ceiling, um, and that needs to be extended um, uh, by by Congress, increased by Congress, um, uh, you know, Treasury is saying early to mid-October, you know, they can kind of find a change in the sofa and, and keep keep the government going, but they're going to run out of what they call extraordinary measures sometime around uh, early to mid-October. So. That's um, that, that's a that's a train coming right at us that we need to address, um, and uh, it, it would be you know catastrophic for the government to truly default on its debt. And basically, I cannot see that happening. Um, then we have the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, at, uh, at, at with a price tag of 1.2 trillion. Um, has some very good provisions for um, energy transmission, which which is critical. And some other energy-related uh, strengthening of the grid um, uh, provisions, but no uh, energy tax credits in it. It's uh, it's it's not a not a tax credit bill. And then we have what's called the reconciliation bill, um, which has uh, 3.5 trillion of spending, most of which would be offset through uh, tax increases and reversing much of the 2017 uh, tax reform. Um, Uh, And that has uh, sweeping uh, uh, social programs, but also a a great expansion of energy tax credits in terms of both the uh, effective dates and uh, the types of tax credits available and the types of of technology that qualifies for the tax credits. Um, uh, Senator Manchin um, has said he would support only 1.5 trillion um, uh, but the, uh, he's obviously a moderate, uh, uh, Senator from, um, Democrat from West Virginia, the, the progressives in the house don't want to give up any of the, um, uh, social programs, the uh, low income housing, the, uh, pay, paid family leave that that type of stuff. Uh, so they want the whole 3.5 trillion. So even within the democratic party, there is not, um, uh, enough votes at the moment to get that, uh, to get that budget reconciliation bill passed. Um, so all those four things are floating around a lot of moving pieces makes it incredibly uh, complicated and and difficult to predict as to where it, where it's all going to, you know, ultimately fall out.
0: Well, thank you for that rundown, David. And it seems like the one that really is going to affect the industry, especially when it comes to the tax credits is the reconciliation bill. Can you run down what is in there that's going to impact the renewable energy sector in terms of changes to tax credit law uh, yes
1: um e- even that is a
0: is a moving target and uh and
1: and relatively fluid um, most recently we have the the bill passed by the um, House Ways and Means Committee earlier this month um, that uh, is called the build uh, Better build back better act the build back better act which basically follows an outline um uh created by uh president biden and the executive branch team but uh president biden's uh proposal was just an outline didn't have statutory language the build back better act gives us uh statutory language and and it's been passed by ways and means hasn't gotten um uh has not passed the full house and obviously has not passed the senate so it has a ways to go um we also have uh the green act which was um which uh, is supported by more progressive um uh democrats uh and has been introduced a couple of times and then we have senator wyden's bill um which has passed his committee in the senate his senate finance committee so you know the the you know it's it's a very fluid um, uh, legislative item. Um, and then, you know, we don't know what Senator Manchin, who's kind of the linchpin in the Senate, um, will support. He has said again, that he only is comfortable with 1.5 trillion of spending, not 3.5 trillion. And he has also expressed, uh, concerns about some of the climate change provisions, um, that those concerns have just been generic statements rather than, you know, specifically saying he didn't like one thing or another. Um, so to get him on board, there's going to, going to need to be uh, some some compromise uh, and and some trimming of provisions uh, to bring it into line with with what he wants. And he holds the winchpin boat in the uh, in the Senate. Um, in terms of what uh, the um, Build uh, Back Better Act would do, um, it 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 does a couple of things. It 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 ex, it uh, pushes out the uh, effective dates or the expiration dates for the solar ITC and for the wind PTC and for the Section 45Q carbon capture credits. Um, It also lets projects that qualify for either ITC or PTC pick the other one. So for instance, uh, right now a solar project could not opt for the production tax credit, the PTC, But under this bill, so our project could claim the 30% ITC or be $25 a megawatt hour um, PTC, as wind can do currently, and wind still can. Um, It also provides tax credits for battery storage on a standalone basis, not not having to be um, powered or charged by a renewable energy source. So you could have a standalone battery that uh, is charged by the grid or a standalone battery charged by a coal plant. Um, Senator Manchin might be interested in that uh, that, that could, um, that would qualify for a tax credit. Well, currently the the battery qualifies for an ITC, but only if it's charged by an ITC eligible project. Um, so that's all expanded. Uh, those, those goodies, uh, come with conditions though, um, to get the full tax credit, um, you, you have to meet, uh, generally three conditions. Um, one is you have to have, um, Pay prevailing wages, um, so Davis Bacon prevailing wages. Um, that's not just during construction; that's also for uh, O and M operations and maintenance. The second, of which is you have to have an apprentice program. You have to have a certain number of apprentices on site. Um, there's an exception for uh, the apprentice program if, it, you know, if there's no apprentices available in the area the project's in. Then the third thing is you have to have 55% uh, domestic content. Um, and that, that can be quite a a challenge. If you don't meet, um, all those requirements, you get a reduced tax credit, uh, depending on various, uh, deadlines and variations, you get a reduced tax credit and if you, you know, fail to pay the prevailing wage and have the apprentice program, um, you can, you'll, you know, you could suffer recapture or have to, um, and have to pay penalties and, and, uh, and for the prevailing wage, you'd have to pay the, the workers uh, the difference that they were underpaid plus, plus interest and pay a penalty to the IRS. Um, so there's a lot of conditions on getting the full tax credit. And if you're just kind of a regular project that uh, doesn't have 55% domestic content and it's not using apprentices and paying prevailing wages, you're gonna get a, a much smaller um, much smaller tax credit. Um, so kind of a, a status quo Um, result would be a smaller tax credit than is available. Uh, currently, um, it looks like if the project had quote, started construction close quote for the bills passed, you, you may escape, um, these, uh, these additional, you know, uh, social policy type requirements in terms of the wages apprentices and the domestic content. Um, but that's not, not entirely clear, um, either again, there's a lot of moving pieces.
0: So to be clear, these requirements, the the Davis-Bacon and some of the other ones in terms of apprentices these don't only apply to some of the additional benefits that are part of this bill. They would apply even if you were trying to get the existing tax credits. So for some projects, it sounds like this bill could be a net negative.
1: It could be a net negative. Again, they may depending on when the project was deemed to have started construction, it may avoid this, but yes, it could be a, a, it could be overall, you know, less than, you know, what the project would have qualified for uh, in absence of these, of these additional requirements. Um, there's, there's exclusions for, you know, small projects, obviously, if you're, you know, you if you're putting solar on your house, you don't have to pay, you know, prevailing wages or have apprentices. Uh, so there's, you know, or, or even smaller C and I projects. So there's some, there's some exceptions It's basically targeted at larger kind of utility scale um, type, uh, type projects. Uh, but, but yes, it, the, 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 the full tax credit comes at a, at a cost under, under the bill. The other thing the bill has is what's called direct pay, uh, which is basically uh, the 1603 cash grant program 2.0, uh, but rather than being administered by the treasury, um, and have filed an application process, it would, be, um, uh, it, it would be a cash tax refund. So you would be deemed to have overpaid your taxes and you would be entitled to um, a tax refund. Um, the, the direct pay, if you want to opt for the cash from the IRS that, that you do have to um, comply with the wage apprentice and domestic content rules. Um, and, uh, um, and and it is going to be, uh, I think, a less popular program than people may be anticipating in terms of direct pay. Um, first of all, if you're claiming a, an ITC, an investment tax credit, um, if you want to claim it based on the fair market value rather than based on just the cost to build the project, you'll need to have either a sale of the project between different taxpayers or you'll need to have a lease of the project between different taxpayers. So that's going to require involvement of other parties. Um, Next thing is it does not monetize the accelerated depreciation, uh, either uh, so-called bonus depreciation or maker's depreciation. And that's a smaller tax benefit than the tax credits, but it's still important um, and sponsors still want to capture value for the accelerated depreciation the project qualifies for. Um, the, the other thing is you have to make the election, you know, very early on. So we're saying you have to make the election when you quote, start construction. So you're not allowed to sort of play it out and say, well, ideally I'd like to raise tax equity because that, uh, monetizes the depreciation as well. But if I can't, then I'm going to go for, um, I'm going to go for the direct pay, the cash payment, um, but rather you have to make that election very early on. So you don't have that optionality. Um, there's talk about a haircut, uh, for going for direct pay. Some policymakers say, well, you're, you know, a tax equity investor would, 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 you know, doesn't, doesn't transact for free. So you're avoiding that cost. You're avoiding legal fees, accounting fees, advisory fees, you know, let's, let's haircut it. Um, so, uh, that remains to be seen if direct pay is enacted with a haircut. Um, various proposals have different, different views on whether or not there should be a haircut. Um, and then uh, and then, it, then, you'll have to go through the tax refund process. And if the refund is paid to a corporation, a C Corp, and it's $5 million or more, or if it's paid to an individual and it's $2 million or more, you have, it appears you're gonna have to go through a special refund program or refund process, whereby first uh, the IRS has to review the refund in detail. Then the IRS has to send a report about the refund to the Joint Committee on Taxation. And then the Joint Committee on Taxation has 30 days uh, to um, to act. If it does nothing, it's deemed to have approved it. Um, uh, the Joint Committee on Taxation is a, a congressional committee that then has a large um, uh, tax staff of lawyers and accountants and economists. So that 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 tax staff would be reviewing your um, refund request uh, after the IRS has reviewed it. Um, if they have if the tax staff has concerns about it. It then goes back to the IRS to adjust the refund amount or look into it further and make, make whatever necessary changes the tax staff you know, feel, or, feel should be considered. Um, and then the process starts all over again. So it can take quite some time. Um, so it could be quite a while uh, between when um, you, you know, uh, commission your project and then actually get you know, the tax credits for it, uh, given all these procedures you have to jump through it is possible again the legislation is very much in flux and it's impossible that Congress could decide to you know exclude uh, these these refunds under direct pay from the uh, uh, from these from these special reviews uh, by the IRS and the joint committee but it tends to be when you when you ask a, you know a, a member of Congress to you know to, to, to carve out your your tax credit from these reviews but a member of Congress is hesitant to do so, they say, what? what do you mean? You don't want anybody looking at it. It shouldn't be, you know, studied by experts. You know, you just want a free pass to do whatever you want. So it's hard to sell that um, as a policy matter to, to uh, 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 members of Congress. So it could happen that, the, that these reviews are not required, but right now it appears that they, they will be. And that's probably if we, we end up with direct pay, that's probably where I would guess uh, they end up being required.
0: So I know that direct pay has been a priority for the industry. Uh, It's something that industry groups have been calling for for some time. It sounds like you think it might bring less benefits and more complications than a lot of folks in the industry are expecting.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I I think people uh, ignore the fact that they get the ITC based on a fair market value. You need a, a transaction between two taxpayers, so they ignore that fact. They overlook the fact that well, the depreciation is important as well, and direct pay doesn't monetize that. They overlook the uh, the time value of money issue and how long the process is to uh, to to get a refund, even if you don't go through a special review. And then they then they don't consider the fact this, this special review is basically asking to be audited by some very you know sharp tax professionals, and you know they they may find issues of what you've done. If you, if you recall back to the 1603 cash grant days in the you know, Obama administration, um, at the end of a 1603 program, it was pretty much unusable because be, between delays in getting things paid and so-called haircuts that the treasury uh, personnel uh, running the program imposed on applications, you know sponsors pretty much said, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to raise tax equity. I, I have more certainty as to the amount and, and the timing. Um, and uh, you know, this is a similar situation. situations could be go through the tax return process at the IRS rather than treasury, but it's still bureaucratic, uh, uh time consuming and subject to you know, disagreement over the right
0: amount of payment. So another priority, and this is something you mentioned has been an ITC like benefit for a standalone storage right now, standalone storage or storage in general must be charged by a renewable resource a certain percent of the time in order to be eligible for the ITC. How big an impact do you think expanding this benefit to standalone storage would have on the battery industry? This Is something you think would really kick it into gear? Because we've seen growth even without this benefit.
1: So, just to be clear on the current law, it's not that just you have to be charged by a renewable energy resource. You have to be charged by an ITC resource, right? So under current law, you attach a battery uh, to a wind project, an onshore wind project claiming PTCs. That battery doesn't qualify, right? So so you, it's really you know quite precise, and you have to have the same tax owner, you know, of the battery and of the project that's charging it. So you know, if you did a you know a, a you know a deal with taxically investor X to you know to to build a, a solar project. Um, and then taxically investor X says, well, I don't want to invest in your battery. You know, I don't want, I'm, I do not have tax appetite. I don't like batteries. I, you know, you and I have not the along, whatever the issue may be, you know, you're, you're stuck, you can't bring in taxically investor Y for, for the battery. You have to have the same, uh, taxpayer own the battery and own the project, that charges it. So it's, it's uh, it's pretty restrictive currently, I think to lift those rules and make standalone storage, uh, tax credit eligible would be, you know, tremendous. Um, as you've said, we have seen storage grow. There have been some standalone storage projects uh, financed and they do have, you know, uh, uh, offtake contracts, but, uh, you know, I think if there's a tax credit for standalone storage, it's really going to take off and, and we need it because the, you know, renewables are the key um, to addressing climate change, um, and, but they come with intermittency. You know, uh, wind doesn't generate power, the wind's not blowing and solar doesn't generate power if the sun's not shining and, and batteries can be the, the bridge to cover the intermittency. So they, they really are critical to addressing climate change. Um, and there has been growth, but we need more growth in batteries. And I think, you know, a standalone tax credit for batteries will really um, accelerate uh, that, that growth and, and, and make it even more common than it is now.
0: But even without this specific credit, the industry has been growing and there is even a supply shortage. So in the near term, at least wouldn't this benefit go more towards just getting higher prices for battery uh, suppliers rather than spurring new projects.
1: You know, that that's always the question about these tax credits, right? Are we just, uh, you know, are we just, uh, uh, you know, gilding the, the pockets of, uh, uh, of people would otherwise undertake this activity. Um, but, but I, and so, you know, I'm not an economist, you know, it's a, it's a valid question. I, I don't have the answer, but I guess what, what I would say, what we have seen, and we saw this in solar, right? You, you could have said, you know, the same thing when, when solar, solar tax credits have been extended and expanded, you could say, oh well, this was going to happen anyway. These people wanted to build solar anyway, but we've seen more manufacturers get involved. We've seen more technology. Um, we've seen huge technological improvements. So, when you, when you motivate people to, um, to, to manufacture a product because it has strong returns, because those returns are supported by tax credits, you see competition in that manufacturing, you see technological developments, and then you, you see, you know, a, a more and a better product being produced. Um, and, and certainly that's been the case of solar. If you look how the, how, the, how the cost of solar has come down and how the efficiency has gone up over the past decade, it's really pretty remarkable. And again, I'm not an economist, but I'm optimistic that we would see you know, similar drop in cost in batteries and similar improvements in technology and batteries if we have a standalone uh, solid reliable um, tax credit for, for
0: storage. So I want to go back to one of the concerns that you mentioned before, and that's the domestic content requirement. I think you said 55% would have to be produced domestically uh, for these projects to be eligible the tax credits. And obviously that's something that is aimed at spurring American manufacturing, which has been a priority of both parties. But how realistic is that? How would the industry be able to react to such a mandate?
1: I'm not an an engineer or a manufacturing specialist, but from what I'm hearing anecdotally is that projects are not able to meet it and that it's not realistic currently. And it's, it's just not feasible given how much of uh, the input for uh, solar projects comes from various Asian countries um, in terms of raw materials, manufactured materials, et cetera. Um, And and in terms of needing the different uh, components of a solar project, not just the modules, but also the, you know, the inverter, uh, the transformer. Um, So, you know, what I'm hearing anecdotally is that it's not feasible. Um, And I have, you know, major concerns about the domestic uh, content requirement and and whether projects will be able to, you know, meet it without uh, uh, going to extremes, which will make it, you know, uneconomic.
0: Obviously, this is a very large bill. I think the proposal is 3.5 trillion, even if Manchin is saying 1.5 trillion, obviously that's a lot of money that is going to have to come from somewhere. Are there any concerns in terms of how this spending is going to be paid for that has raised red flags for the renewable sector in particular?
1: The biggest way the spending is going to be paid for is a corporate tax rate increase from the current 21 percent to 26.5 percent. So still much below the 35 percent that we had um, uh, before 2017 tax reform but still a big jump from 21 to 26.5. Um, also, uh, uh, individual tax rate increase back to the 39.6% we had, um, before, uh, tax reform, and then also increase on capital gains tax, um, and a surcharge on, uh, uh millionaires, I think like 3% for over $5 million of in income a year. Uh, so, um, you know, there certainly, uh, economists, you know, are concerned about some economists, not all, uh, but some economists are concerned about whether that's going to stifle growth and make America less competitive and, you know, cause, uh, jobs and businesses to move overseas. Generally, um, uh, you know, generally higher taxes is good for, uh, the renewable energy industry because it means that, uh, corporations who are typically the ones, uh, monetizing tax benefits and depreciation for these projects, um, have more tax appetite. Um, so their management can, uh, you know, decide that they want to do more deals. So, so generally, you know, the, it's, it's an odd industry we're in, um, in that it benefits often from uh, higher taxes, because it means there's more tax appetite and more ability for corporations to use the tax credits these deals uh, uh, create and also higher interest rates um, and the connection to higher interest rates is that uh, the depreciation benefit is is what accountants call a timing benefit. Um, it's, it's just a matter of recovering your costs quicker than you otherwise would. And that's essentially like an interest-free loan from the IRS. Um, and that interest-free loan is obviously more valuable if interest rates are 5 or 6% than if interest rates are 1% or 2%. Um, so uh, renewable energy is a... Is an interesting uh, industry that actually benefits from higher tax credits and higher interest rates, um, uh, although people are certainly uh, uh, sanguine to the implications for the broader economy and for American competitiveness broad.
0: So, overall, how would you say the renewable sector is reacting to these proposals and to this ongoing? policy debate and the prospects for legislation being passed?
1: I, I guess I would say overall there's, there's cautious optimism, um, but the, you know, uh, the, the, there's so many moving parts and it's so hard to tell where things are going to settle. Um, it, you know, people are, uh, generally avoiding doing a lot of, uh, number crunching around, you know, hypotheticals and well, what if it's this, what if it's that cause it's just too hard to know. Um, uh, there there is uh, and it's fantastic there is a lot of support for you know green energy tax credits and I think we will see some expansion in you on some extension of the tax credits but as to where it settles we don't know so I, I don't think I, I I don't think anybody's making a whole lot of bets that oh this is definitely gonna pass so I'm gonna go you know corner of a battery market so that you know I'm in the you know, poll position, you know, when, when this passes, I don't think anybody's saying that, but I also don't think anybody's just, you know, completely ignoring it. Certainly um, as I, you know, do deals and draft and negotiate uh, uh, tax equity documents, you know, there, there are various contingencies uh, to deal with this, uh, these proposals passing or not passing. So right now, it's just sort of, everybody's tried to be prepared for whatever happens, um, which is, you know, good for lawyers, but you know, not so good for the industry in terms of the time it takes and the, you know, and the, and the expense of, you know, not being having predictability. Um, you, you know, oftentimes business people say what's best for business is, you know, long term predictability and stability so you can make plans. Well, at, at the moment, you know, I think people are planning optimistically, but nobody really knows, you know, which version and flavor of these uh, proposals we're going to end up with.
0: Well, David, thank you for that rundown. It's been really interesting and obviously a lot to follow in the coming days and weeks. And David, thank you for coming on Crossroads today. This has been great.
1: Thank you, Andrew. I've I've enjoyed
0: speaking with you. Appreciate the opportunity. And thank you all for tuning in. This has been the Crossroads Podcast.